welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider, also known as Tata. I'm very excited to welcome Melissa Perry, the founder and lead baby and toddler sleep consultant at The Cradle Coach. She is a family-first mama, goal-oriented entrepreneur, to-do list extraordinaire, avid dreamer, and really just decided to take her career into helping tired families all around the world give their child the best sleep possible. Today we talk about sleep training, how it is highly correlated with a speeding schedule, as well as really individualized opinions from parents. So every family is different and she goes in there and figures out what type of family dynamic they have, what environment the child is sleeping in, and then decides what path to put the baby on. Sleep training can start usually around four months, she says, or 12 pounds. So it also has to do with how much your child is eating and feeding. Melissa puts a big emphasis on the importance of routine. And she shows us that that is something you need to start early on and essentially maintain throughout the child's young life. So you don't just teach a child how to sleep and you walk out, you teach them how to sleep, you talk about the environment, and there's so many other elements that go into it that she will be sharing with you today with the biggest emphasis on organization and routine. Parenting in the sleep world is usually that one first big time move that parents have to do for their child where they have to teach them and they have to be consistent and they have to say no, and that's not always easy. Tata's tip of the week is to give your child two choices. It doesn't always have to be two choices. It can also be three choices, four choices. What do we mean by this? Giving your child choices gives them the power to make a decision for themselves. If you say to me, what do you want for dinner tonight, Andy? Most likely, I'm going to blank on anything I like to eat, and I probably can't give you an answer. But if you say to me, Andy, would you like to eat sushi or Italian? I can immediately choose. So when you're speaking with your child, implement the same thing. Give them options. Give them choices. What do you want for dinner? Do you want pasta or chicken? It doesn't have to be a thousand different options. You can take their top two. And this limits their options to make the decision easier. Sometimes asking an open-ended question, it overwhelms your child, as it would overwhelm me. What do you want to do today? I have no idea, but if you say to me, here's two options, what would you like to do? It makes it easier. So give them two or three options. This allows them to be part of the decision, but not feel too overwhelmed. And especially for children who might have expressive or receptive language delays, it really gives them the opportunity to be involved in the conversation, but not feel the pressure. And when you're asking them that question, you can wait. You don't have to expect an immediate response, right? You don't need to wait one second or two seconds and say, okay, you're having chicken fingers. Instead, you can wait five seconds, six seconds, maybe even 10 seconds. So that's our tip of the week. You wanna say to your child, here are two options, which one would you like? That can be done with bath time, sleep, reading, meal time, playing, even when you're taking them to school, just giving them options for what they think they might be doing that day. And again, it's taking the pressure off of your child, but still allowing them to have a say in the conversation and to have an opinion. And now let's jump right into our conversation with Melissa Perry, the founder of The Cradle Coach. I am very excited to welcome Melissa Perry, 
the founder and lead baby and toddler sleep consultant at The Cradle Coach. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. So just for our listeners who don't know much about you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started as a sleep consultant and really what that means? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, So this, we as sleep consultants go in, we help a family who is in that disarray, a little bit of chaos when um, their child isn't sleeping, they might, mom might be going back to work, they might be adding in an addition and it's just creating chaos in the family dynamic. And so we come in, we get to know the child, we get to know the family, the situation, we create routine, consistency, things that are all part of thriving children Mm -hmm. and a thriving home. And so we just have the space that mom can come to, vent a little bit, and then we create and execute a plan she feels comfortable doing based around that child's personality and the family dynamic. So we give her a schedule of a routine in the day that the child is naturally needing. Mm -hmm. Um, We create techniques and routines and, and just habits, and we instill those habits by the consistency aspect and giving her a set place to reach and then see those goals obtained. So we empower her. We really cheer her on. We keep her accountable. And that just stems then from so much more. You can Mm -hmm. do a lot when your family is sleeping, when mom is sleeping, and there's a lot that can be done as a whole in the family. So that was our goal. It started off with me uh, back in the day when my kids, I have three kids and my daughter wasn't sleeping. My husband was a paramedic firefighter and he was going wow. back on shift, a 24 hour cycle of shifts. And I was left alone and I was going back to work. And I was like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. I have no idea what I'm doing. And she was up all night long mm-hmm. and it was just, it was complete chaos. And I'm not necessarily structured of a person, mm-hmm. but I, I like to know what's next and then kind of have some sort of idea in my day. And this was just, I just felt completely outside of myself. I felt alone. I felt desperate to have help. And I really didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And so my pediatrician was the first person who told me about sleep training, but she was like, go ahead and let her cry it out. It'll be fine. And I just didn't feel like that was what I could do for my daughter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was young and, and I just didn't know anything more than just to believe my pediatrician. So I looked into it. I Googled, which is like sometimes the worst thing you can possibly do when (laughs) it comes to child sleep, but I did. And it kind of just grabbed hold of pieces and created structure. And suddenly my child within, I shouldn't say suddenly, I should say within a few weeks of really sticking to something, it started to work. And then my child, my child started sleeping through the night. I started feeling different and better and just more in not just that survival mode, but thriving as a mom. And then I started helping my friends and that just kind of boomed everything on our, our company. I just began saying like, this is what I need to do for, for other moms. And so the cradle coach was birthed. It was, um, it was really sprung out of a Facebook group in, uh, a mom's group locally. And I ended up having, once that one mom shared me, I had like 40 clients within the first week. Wow. And so it was like, okay, 
This is something, this is a need. And that was over 12 years ago. So it really has developed since we grew um, quickly around the world. um, Thanks to, you know, just being virtual always. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of made a huge difference. COVID didn't stop it. It only just sprung it more into action. And then my team grew. And so we just like have expanded ever since. And now we offer as well as certifications online for those who want to become sleep consultants and start their own businesses in their communities and um, and working with postpartum newborn care specialists being in the home as well. So it's developed and it's continuing to grow and it's exciting. That is awesome. Wow. There's a lot more that goes into it than I think I even realized doing my own research. For our listeners who are first-time moms, uh, mm-hmm. I am not yet a mom, but can you explain the sleep training process? Why is it so important? When can you start doing it? I'm assuming you can't do it right away. So how many weeks into it do you come in um, or do you suggest people really start to start trying, you know, the whole process? Yeah. So what we say is we shouldn't sleep train until the child's at least four months old or 12 pounds so that there's an establishment of feedings and, and gaining weight, proper weight um, growth is, is mm-hmm. absolutely necessary. But you can start working on slight feeding schedules or some sort of little routine that really does make a huge difference in the long run. So children thrive off routine. They want to know where their boundary is. They need to know when to go, when not to go what's the line and how do I not cross it? Because there's a consequence on the other side. They need that. And so at any age, we work with zero five-year-olds. So we like to form that consistency and structure by routine and just a little bit of guidance mm-hmm. from mom and dad. And so parenting in the sleep world is usually that one first big time move that parents have to do for their child where they have to teach them and they have to be consistent and they have to say no. And that's not always easy. So a lot of times that gets mixed with emotions mom has had of childhood trauma. Um, And so we dig deeper into that. We kind of get to know some of her heart and get Mm -hmm. to know her storyline And when we get to know her storyline, we really then reshape the truth to it. And we reshape how she can make things change based around what her child needs. And so when we get to know the child's personality, so meaning um, we don't want to give a very gentle, calm, highly mom present type technique to a child who thrives off of the ability to be with a person, to interact with a person. Their body just receives so much more stimulation that way. And so when we remove mom sometimes a little bit out of the the process, there's a little bit more understanding that no means no, or right now I really want you to sleep. And then mom comes in and does some checks and creates some more of the understanding that this is a new habit that's going to be in place. And once the child receives that structure and understands, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do then that's their new norm. And so, yes, you have setbacks, there's sickness and there's mm-hmm. um, you know, regressions that happen, but you always go back to what's true, which is that consistency of how I'm going to receive and how I'm going to approach the situation so that it's clear from any child at any age what they should be doing in this time frame, which is sleep, because we need sleep. And that's a especially in those pivotal developmental years of that child's growth and development, they need sleep more than ever. They need that to recover from all of the busy stimulations that they have in the day. 
Mm -hmm. So a lot goes into it. It's not just you're going to sleep at this time. It's feeding. It's how much they weigh, what type of child or personality, parenting style. Really a few different factors go into it is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. I Mm -hmm. think that sometimes people have the idea that sleep training is cried out. Shut the door. Here's your feedings. Here's your set times. Here's your training mode. Here's your technique. Cried out. Shut the door. We're good. Do not come back in. And that's not it at all. In fact, that's what we don't do. Um, we try not to, at least. Right. There are those moments when a parent comes to us and they're like, I know my child needs this. I just can't do it. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And so we do that when that's what we know is needed in that situation. But for the most part, it doesn't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. Children just need to see the habit that's consistent. And they don't know words. They We can't be like, go to sleep. Right. Time for bed. Good yeah. night. Bye. It they need to see that there is an actual habit being placed by mom and dad's action. Mm-hmm. And that then is perceived to them. And then they follow suit when the no is no and there's a clear boundary in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents, you know, being a speech therapist, people assume that your child's a little blob at that age, right? That's just, this is like a little doll that we have. It's cute. We feed it. It goes to the bathroom and it goes to bed. Um, But I think, you know, especially whether it's teaching them routine or just sleep or even, you know, this is your bottle you eat when we give you your bottle, like you can teach kids at that age. So it seems like whether it's speech therapy, obviously I'm not teaching them how to make a sound, but you're exposing them to different sounds. It's the same thing that you're kind of saying where, you know, you can still teach them a routine at any point really. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I have three kids and my youngest, my first two used completely different structure routine. I knew nothing. I was like in just chaos here. Let me throw this here. Let me throw that. And then my youngest, I understood the structure and habits early on and started really early. I mean, four weeks in mm-hmm. and didn't do any type of sleep training at all with him because I was able to really put into place from the beginning just a slight structure. Right. And that structure and routine created that habit of understanding. And he was my best sleeper. So it's not always like that, obviously. Yep. But once mom understands, like when she's ready to make those choices and she's ready to apply them, then things get done. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it really does stem from when mom is ready to make the action happen and stay consistent with it, where there is change that in the child sleep that will form. Awesome. So you're kind of answering my next question was, does every sleep consultant have their own approach or do you really decide your approach depending on the family, the child? So it seems like it's the latter. You're kind of, you know, depending on each family, the parenting style, the child's. Yeah. There are some sleep consultants out there that do have one set approach and that's all that they, Mm -hmm. they sleep train them doing, um, which if that's working for them, amazing. I think it's incredible for me. We've always seen like throughout the years, just different family dynamics. I mean, we've had celebrities who are musicians and their lifestyle is very different than a nine to five working mother who wants to see their kid in the morning and in the evening. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like versus day? care versus nanny. So we just saw that there were so many ways that a child can receive the same type of message, but in different structures based around that child's personality. So I just believe that in anything, every child is so unique and every family is so different, but when they receive one thing that they can do for their child, it could look very different from what one sleep consultant can do versus another sleep consultant. So it just depends on what type of philosophy that sleep consultant has. And you can usually find that on their website. It's pretty clear. We often teach our students to make it very clear from the beginning 
how you are going to structure out mm-hmm. and work in the process of. So mom feels comfortable, dad feels comfortable. And also you're creating the safe space to be able to be vulnerable and then say, okay, that's, that's the key. That's the, the piece that we want to work on, the tweaking that we want to do. So it gives so much more room for your child to understand. Yep, absolutely. And again, it kind of comes back to what we do. I'm going in for an evaluation. This is exactly my technique. Depending on your child, I'm going to go this way or this way. And then I really do think it makes the parents feel more comfortable. So I agree with that. Um, So you had mentioned in your intro that you do it over Zoom or in person. Where Mm -hmm. are you guys located? Yeah, we're located in Palm Beach Gardens um, in South Florida. And we started doing it in homes, um, doing, I would go in at night and and stay there with the family and just help mom through each process of it. Um, And then after a little bit of just like a lot more asking of me to come in, I didn't, I wanted to be able to, to meet more needs and outside just the local area. So I started doing virtual in-home. So what we do is we get on FaceTime or we get on a zoom call and we record it. And what, what in that interaction is we're watching the baby monitor. And usually now it's on devices and apps that we can just jump in on. And so we watch that we tell mom when to go in, what not to do, when to go do it. Um, how to do it. She has a plan that we've created custom to her child. And we, she, we've trained her up on that information. She knows what to do. She's empowered. And our job isn't to enable her. Our job is to empower her so she doesn't need us ever again. We want her to know how to make those choices for her child and for her family that when she knows what to do, it goes so much further. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's questions. Yes, there's um, situations that come. They're like, oh, I need you. What do I do? And we just walk along in that journey with her throughout that supported time. And usually that looks like a week of support to two weeks of support with some calls in between. I know a lot of people are talking about sleep regression and kind of missing that window of sleep training. Is it possible to miss the window? Can, let's say I have a child and I think they're not ready yet at four months or the appropriate weight and it's six months or seven months and now I want to sleep train. Is that possible? No, I don't think so. I think you can start up at any time. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to really just putting mom in that yes mode of like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can do that, this. And that sometimes is a lot harder than anything else that we do in sleep training world. You know, it, it, it really is. And when mom can feel like, okay, enough's enough. Or the the most common thing I hear is, oh, my child will probably grow out of it. Mm -hmm. They don't, they have to learn how to do this. And studies show so many side effects that do happen when mom, when mom hasn't created that structure, dad hasn't created that structure in the, in the family sleep world. If they're so like co-sleeping, which is every choice that mom wants to make, our job is to tell you the safe side effects and the safe standards of sleep. But if mom wants to co-sleep forever, that's fine. But you will also see that later on when they go off to college, they're still looking for that human body to sleep with. And there's so many other case studies that kind of go back to how their formative years were really structured in the beginning. Right. So do I think that no, can you, I always think you can always do it when you're ready to do it. But I think those first five years are so important in their development and their growth and the habits and just the foundations of what sleep can do even up until they're an adult. Does it matter what your child sleeps in? So does it matter if they're sleeping in a bed with you in a crib, what goes in the crib? Are those factors that you guys kind of talk to parents about in terms of sleeping? Yes. Yeah, so we follow the AAP.org. 
org, which gives us safe standards of sleep. And that allows us to say the first year we push for a crib or a bassinet, something mm-hmm. that has the safe standards, nothing in there. Mm-hmm. We love a sleep sack. We love a pacifier if needed. Mm-hmm. And that's about it that first year. And they also suggest in a parent's room, but not in the bed. So it's called room sharing instead of bed sleeping and bed co-sleeping or bed sharing. This is room sharing. So they can have a crib set aside far away and creating the right kind of cozy environment, which is dark, 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 um, 60 to 72 degrees temperature, just something cool so that there's that nice airflow that's happening. There's a distance there and there's Mm -hmm. a firm mattress and tight fitted sheets and all the things. But when the mom is ready to make that transition into their crib, that same environment should be had. And then when they're ready to make the transition out into their own bed, um, big girl, big boy bed, it's really important for mom to and dad to view the room now like a big crib. So right. everything inside of it needs to be safe. Nothing hanging, no cords hanging. Everything needs to still have that same structure in place. But what we really want to do is still create that boundary. Mm-hmm. So when they're in the crib, they know they're in the crib and that there's no way out until they're old enough to figure out how to get out. Yep. And when that happens, it's the same idea that we need to almost set our parents up for success in that same mindset, Mm -hmm. which is this room now is a big crib. This is safe. Make sure it's safe. If a child might be able to do it, they probably will. So make sure it's safe. So we keep in in care of those safety standards on the AAP.org. Got it. Okay. And so it's somewhat similar to how adults sleep, right? You want a dark environment. You want 68 degrees. You, I mean, I personally don't really like many pillows. I barely sleep with a pillow. So as our environment matters for sleep, a children's, you know, a child does as well. So it makes exactly. plenty of sense. Exactly. We want to replicate that same idea. And yep. so you've learned as a young kid what's comfortable for you. And mm-hmm. that goes into adulthood, but it's it stems from those foundations. Before we get into some questions from our Tata community, I do have a question for you. I know a lot of moms hire, you know, nannies or baby nurses to come in early. And if they can, they keep them until they can sleep train, let's say. Do you somewhat butt heads or do you kind of go again with that person who's there? Do you kind of teach the nurse what to do or are you still focusing on the parents? Yeah, that's a great question. No, not often do we butt heads. Um, Sometimes it's more of just making sure everybody's on the same page. And when it's not, it's obvious. Um, It becomes obvious to us when we're working on our habits and our training. Typically we don't butt heads. So when we have our certification courses, we actually have a newborn care specialist program where they can go into the home and they're the ones who are usually at the night nurse that is there for the first four months. And they actually do know some really good foundational principles of structuring and creating feeding schedules and, and sleep routines and so on and so forth. But our job is really to make sure that that continues on and that mom understands how to continue it on. And many times that's the one piece that we see is that with these night nurses or a night nanny, that doesn't continue on that way. It stops suddenly because mom didn't understand or learn what to do to continue. It just happened, Mm -hmm. right? Then that first regression hits usually around four months and all of a sudden, all that was created is now in disarray. And so our job is usually when we come in at that point, 
to kind of meet what happened and, and mend the two and teach mom how to continue on with that same structure. Okay. So basically you are giving moms and parents as much confidence and knowledge as possible so that regardless of who comes in at what point, you know, they have the confidence to say, this is what we're doing, or this is how I want it to be, you know, teaching them basically as much as you can, which I love. Exactly. Got yep. It. Awesome. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to throw a few questions at you that moms in our community have asked. A lot of the moms we work with are first-time moms. Some of them are veterans, but a lot of them still have questions for you. So um, the first one is how to prevent sleep regression at older ages. So two, three, four. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's a way to prevent them. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some regressions that just happen developmentally, physically. There's a lot uh, in their world that changes. So in preschool days, a lot of times there's high stimulation. There's a lot going on, a lot of change of the environment. And then all of a sudden you come home and that refuge that you created at home, the, the calm factors of home life feel like so different. And when all of a sudden their insecurities and their fears and all the things that they just experienced in the day come out, it's usually a bedtime. And so that's where we like to come back in and really build into getting on their level and playing with them, having quiet periods of time with them, hearing how their days went and just playing in their rooms with them. A lot of times parents play with their in their rooms for like bedtime routine or nap routine right before they're about to go to bed. We really as parents need to get involved with their space mm-hmm. and just show that mom loves it, dad loves it, and it creates more of that confidence in their sleep time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of less stimulation, um those help prevent, I would say, the constant factors of regressions and it helps soothe and create confidence in the child. But I think that there's not this one key element that's like, okay, if you do this, there's no regressions. That's just not kids. And so, um, so the more we can just create a home life, that's really safe and confident building and hearing their hearts and getting on their levels, you're filling their emotional stability up in such beautiful ways that that goes into their sleep and they feel safe and they feel heard. So you can't necessarily prevent sleep regression, but you can change the environment to make it more welcoming, family oriented, really changing the environment more than anything. How would you suggest handling the scared of the dark phase, which I know my niece is somewhat going through. I personally think she just likes her um, little nightlight and wants it there. And she's saying she's scared of the dark. Yeah. So a lot of times when they're scared of the dark, there's so much that happens into um, the process of being scared, Mm -hmm. Um, meaning more happened in the day. There's stimulation that happened in the day that really has just created a little bit more of fear, uncertainty, that insecurity that comes out. Mm -hmm. And so when we as parents build in that ability to say, listen, they, I hear your fears. I hear that, that scared ideas, but let's go through the room. There's nothing here. And you go through it and go through every little bit of the closet and under the bed and, and all the, the all the, uh, the places that you would think that there would be a fear factor. Right, yeah. The monsters um, are hiding. Yeah. You just make sure that they see that there's nothing, but then also give them almost the authority to, to speak life into it, Mm -hmm. meaning 
There is no fear. I am safe. Mommy and daddy are here. We are okay. We are, we it just building that up really helps. And it kind of goes back into what I just said about the regressions. It's like creating that environment at home that really is comfortable and comforting. Mm -hmm. And when you have those things that do happen, and then also getting to hear what they're actually fearful of nine times in a 10, it's like, it could be simple to us, but it's so heavy for the child, yep. you know? And so I, there's a great example. I had a client one time who her son was really scared of, oh, what is the cartoon? It's the pink, like bunny or bear or pig, the pig, uh-huh. the pig. Uh, yeah. Peppa Pig. And they were terrified uh-huh. and mom didn't understand what was wrong. And he didn't, cl- he was young and couldn't really communicate. That was the fearful thing. And it went back to a story he read in preschool that his teacher read to him and he held it on for a week. And every day he thought that was, that bunny was going to come find him in his room <laughs> at night and, or the pig. And that was going to really erupt this it erupted this fear. And so is that reality? No, but for a parent, that is not our reality. Our our reality is a whole lot bigger, right? But for them in this world of just understanding and like learning, that's a lot for them. So hearing them, finding out where we can connect with them is really important. And then say it is okay to have those fears, but there is nothing to be fearful of because mommy and daddy are right here. You are safe. And sometimes I like to do like little gimmicks of things like putting on dad's t-shirts to bed because he feels like he's a superhero. So his son's going to feel like a superhero or there's some of those tactics that we like to do. But for a lot of times, it's just really making sure we hear their fear and then putting in the truth and declaring that victory over him. I think that's awesome. Again, it's kind of giving not just the parents, but the child confidence, which I personally love. Two more questions for you. So what to do when my child tries to delay sleep? I want to read another book. I have to go to the bathroom, trying every excuse out there. Yes, that happens often um, because our children, especially in those formative preschool years, are always seeing where their line can get to, Mm -hmm. right? They want to see as far as I can get to. I want mom in back in here. I want to, you know, prevent this long stretch of sleep. Like I just don't want to do it. Right. So we get asked all the time, another kiss, another water break, another hug, another, this, another story. And so what we, we do is if you go to the cradlecoach.com and Google bedtime pass or search for bedtime pass, we actually print off a bedtime pass that they can color in the day. Mom can laminate. They mom doesn't have to laminate it. She doesn't want to, they could put stickers on, make it fun and give it to the the child um, and tell them about this one time use of a bedtime pass. So they get one chance to get one extra hug, one extra kiss, one extra potty break, whatever it is. And when they use it, mom takes it and she then walks out and say, okay, enough's enough. And mom then has to say, no, at that point. So once that bedtime pass is taken by Mm -hmm. mom and used up, then no means no. And mom needs to stay consistent about that. And so you can create this amazing thrill for the child to feel like they have some independence and they have the choice in when it's time to give them that bedtime pass. And so a lot of times they don't use that bedtime pass because they think they're going to use it sometime throughout the night when they need it. And in reality, they end up sleeping because they're excited and they're confident. So 
that's a that's one of those little tactics in our toolbox that we like to use for our children who just want to push the edge. Yep. But it also goes back to your sleep training technique of saying, no, here's the boundary. If you come out of the room, mommy has to step in and do something about that. Mm -hmm. That might be a door shut. That might be, um, you know, the lack of using the bedtime pass. There's some interaction and boundaries that need to happen. And mom needs to declare that, but then back it up with her action. Right. So boundaries. And then when it comes to the certificate that they can print from your website, that's kind of the positive reinforcement, which we also like to do um, with speech therapies. That's awesome. And our final question is how long should you keep your child in a sleep sack for? Oh, that's a good question. They actually make sleep sacks up until like three or four years old. So it really depends on what mom feels comfortable, what the child feels comfortable using. I love a good sleep sack for at least the first two years. If they want to come out of it at some point, they can, the child can choose to do that. And sometimes that's how the choice is given, but sometimes they love it for a lot longer. And it's just their way of their comfort, their blanket, if you yeah. will. And since we don't want anything in the crib for the first year, it becomes that routine for them to know, okay, it's bedtime. This is what's part of bedtime. And the routine is in place. Absolutely. And I agree with that. Okay. So I learned a lot and I think our listeners are going to learn a lot, but where can our listeners find you if they have more questions, your social media website? Yeah. So you can find us at thecradlecoach.com and there's so much information that we gave. We give blog posts and we have a YouTube channel that you can find there as well with more specific tips on certain situations and scenarios. And if they, if you eventually say, Hey, I want to do this. I want to help other families, other moms, you can become certified and take our online certification course. Um, really easy to take. It's on thecradlecoach.com. And both of our Instagram handles are the Cradle Coach and the Cradle Coach Academy. Awesome. All right. Well, I will be checking that out. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Melissa. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to visit Talking With Tata on Instagram and on Facebook.